today on the Almond Journey podcast. If you're able to generate a more consistent year-over-year net return by employing a strategy that is focused on crop demand and uptake, then it's going to put you in a better position long-term to be able to cover some of those fixed costs. We're talking crop fertility with Devin Clark of Yara North America. Welcome back to the Almond Journey podcast brought to you by the Almond Board of California. On this show, we discover how growers, handlers, and other stakeholders are making things work in their operations to drive the almond industry forward. I'm your host, Tim Hamrich, and I'm traveling up and down the valley, virtually in this case, to feature the leaders who are finding innovative ways to improve their operations, connect with their local communities, and advance the almond industry. Today, we travel east of Manteca on Highway 120 to the cowboy capital of the world, Oakdale, California. It's there that we'll visit with Yara North America Permanent Crops Manager, Devin Clark. Devin has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to crop fertility and is conducting some really interesting trials at Yara's Incubator Farm, which is 40 acres that they leased from an almond grower to compare various full-season nutrition management strategies. As many of you know, Yara is one of the two largest fertilizer manufacturers in the world with a presence in over 50 countries and over 17,000 global employees. Devin and I talk about what they're learning from that work with the incubator farm, what's going on with this crazy fertilizer market we've seen this year, and what insights he can share that might help growers get the most out of their fertility programs. After graduating from Chico State, Devin began his career as a pest control advisor with a local independent ag retailer. But he soon found that his biggest interest was more on the agronomic side of the business, and he was attracted to Yara's focus on nature-positive solutions for growers. Devin's also a graduate of the Almond Leadership Program and the chair of the Almond Board's Strategic Ag Innovation Committee. We'll kick off our featured conversation here with Devin talking about the transition from PCA to what would eventually become his role now as Permanent Crops Manager at Yara. You tend to be kind of the day-to-day contact for a lot of these growers in that role. And so, you know, you're working with them on things like the pesticide recommendations. You're working with them on some of the cultural practices as far as, you know, what types of varieties to be planting, how often and how much water you should be applying, you know, what are the nutritional recommendations and then, you know, pruning recommendations and things of that nature. So, so in that role, I really got some more exposure to the agronomy side, which I consider, um, you know, really much more of an art form, sometimes than the pest management side, because you're working directly with this, this ominous environment, which is the soil, and you don't have a good line of sight. You don't have traps where you can count the number of moths that are flying on a daily basis and create a very, you know, justifiable economic case for making this pesticide application, right? You're working with this unknown element of the soil and you're trying to figure out how to not only get materials applied in a way that are most accessible to the plant, but also going to provide the most value to the plant and able to generate the most crop per unit of uh, input that you're applying. So it's a much more dynamic environment and there's, you know, there's a lot of interest these days around soil health and, and soil nutrition and stuff like that. And it's really rapidly growing space. And so that's where I've kind of uh, found a lot of interest in exploring that more and essentially turning that into a career. And that's how I got on board with Yara. That's cool. 
When did the concept of the incubator farm come up? Was that part of the job from day one or is that something that, you know, has developed since you've been there? Yeah. So um, it's it's definitely evolved since I've been there, but it was part of the role uh, in its infancy when it was posted. And so the company had already secured a lease on some acres uh, here in the Modesto area with a really great cooperative grower. And they had essentially created this design where they said, okay, we have 40 acres. We're going to break this up into four sections that are replicated six times across that field. And They had that design in irrigation infrastructure, and they had already essentially built that into the field when I came on board. That was as far as they had gotten. There was no injection pumps. There was no plan as to really what the treatments were going to look like, what the direction that we were going to take that farm. You know, it, it kind of had rumblings when I first came on board of being just a nitrogen source trial, which had already been done, trying to prove the value of our product versus another product. And that was a direction that I did not want to go um, from the get-go. And so when I jumped on board, I had a really good discussion with uh, some of our local agronomic experts within the company, as well as as my boss. And we decided to look at this from more of a solutions-based perspective and looking at full season nutrition management strategies and comparing those against each other, right? And so trying to get some that represent really stair-step kind of increases in the complexity of those programs, right? Or the attention to the site-specific needs of those programs. And so we're starting with this baseline program, going to this modified program, which is a little bit more site-specific, to this improved program, which is more so, and then this My Almonds program solution, which is taking really all of the resources that exist to us within the industry already, and and you know my background knowledge of, of managing soils and nutrition, and then trying to create the most optimized nutrition program for that treatment. And so I think my boss just about lost it when you know, the first application of nitrogen fertilizer for that particular, you know, my almonds premium crop solution was ammonium sulfate, which a lot of folks would argue against. And especially when it's supposed to be a Yara premium program and it's a commodity-based product that we're working in there. But, you know, there's a really uh, great agronomic fit for that at that particular time, early in the season, based on the high pH of our soil, based on the fact that that Ammonium will become available to that plant as the soil warms based on biological activity of the soil, which will coincide with root development and become available slowly as those roots start to develop and wake up and start to incrementally need that nitrogen. Because, you know, we have this understanding of stored nitrogen and how that carries that tree for the early part of the season until you get to about 70% leaf out. But in biological systems, Things don't just switch on and off, right? I mean, there's these slow transitions to these different stages. And so having that ammonium sulfate in there that can release slowly over time as that soil warms, as that tree becomes demanding of that nitrogen, that supplementary nitrogen, it's a great fit. And then from there, we move into a 100% you know, high frequency, low volume fertigation strategy for the remainder of the season. 
And when you say high frequency, low volume, how much higher frequency and how much lower volume would it be than kind of your baseline fertigation program? Yeah, yeah. So so on three out of the four programs there, um, we are running basically calendar-based methods, uh, strategies um, that are really typical of the industry. So we're applying nitrogen four times throughout the course of the growing season in a uh, fertigation strategy. And so you're putting on, you know, give or take about 50 pounds of nitrogen per application and doing that four times. The My Almonds program, um, which is operating that high frequency, low volume strategy, we're doing about 25% of our nitrogen with that ammonium sulfate at the early stages. And then we are applying the remainder of our uh, needs uh, on the nitrogen side, as well as potassium through 16 separate fertigation events. And we're carrying that from essentially that 70% leaf out mark, which is usually around mid-March in the Modesto region. But we are also putting to the test the strategies that have been developed uh, through UC Davis and some of the work funded by the Almond Board as to matching, you know, as close to what the demand and the uptake of these trees are throughout the course of the growing season. So, you know, to kind of simplify things, you know, as, as long as there are functional leaves on the tree that are photosynthesizing, you know, nitrogen is a key component of chlorophyll. And so there is a demand to an extent of nitrogen throughout that entire period of time, I would argue. And so we are actually running our fertigation events from about mid-March, and we are cutting off uh, usually about the 1st of August as we near that last irrigation before harvest. So within that, though, Again, trying to match demand and uptake um, with our inputs. We are starting out heavier, right, in our applications because there is greater demand earlier in the season. And then we're tapering off towards that lower part of the season. So in the early part of the season, the the most amount of nitrogen that we're applying in any single fertigation event is no more than 20 pounds of N. And then throughout, you know, the month of July and everything, I mean, we're only putting out maybe 15 to 20 units in its entirety through four weeks there, right? Um, So we're definitely tapering um, to the later part of the season, but we're still continuing to feed small amounts of nitrogen just as that tree needs it. Okay. Yeah. And how big is is the amount of land where each of these strategies are being tested? And, you know, what are the results so far? Yeah. So each one of these treatments, um, this is a 40 acre field, first of all, and we are managing these long term treatments in two thirds of that field. So it's essentially about 27 acres. Now, each one of those treatments represents about seven acres. And then we have a few buffer rows on the sides to eliminate kind of edge effects. And so so those are seven acres a piece. And uh, we've been managing this uh, in this fashion. This will be our third full year now. And so what we've been able to uncover in the first two years is that the My Almond solution, you know, utilizing all of those resources again to make better decisions for the site-specific needs has been able to generate almost double-digit improvements on nearly every metric that we're looking at. And the metrics that we've honed in on are ones that are intended to have the greatest level of interest from a grower and advisor standpoint to be able to generate changes in those management practices in the industry that are going to help growers become more efficient and more profitable. So within that, you know, we've been able to generate uh, about 13% a greater ROI net return on investment here with that MyOmond strategy compared to the baseline strategy over the last two years. So that represents about $752 an acre each year. 
So that program, um, even though last year, you know, we still saw, even though it's not quite what it is this year, we saw a rise in nutrition inputs uh, in the pricing of those inputs, right? And when there was many folks cutting back, we focused on the agronomic value and the agronomic potential of that crop and tried to match the inputs to what that crop needed. And that strategy in and of itself was able to, you know, really kind of provide a risk management function of securing a higher yield and a more profitable yield because of the size classes that we were able to generate in that as well. In addition to that, you know, our yield averages uh, over two years have been improved by 14% uh, compared to the baseline. You know, we've shown some um, improvements in the areas of uh, shrivel and blank production, insect damage, turnout been higher. You know, one of the really stunning improvements that we've been able to show, which was kind of an unintended consequence, but we did want to measure it from day one, was whole rot infection. And so, you know, we are utilizing some some branches that we have flagged uh, preemptively for nut set analysis. And we're going back at the, uh, you know, about two days before harvest, and we are stripping all those nuts off. And we are looking at the actual visible whole rot infections on those nuts uh, in each treatment. So um, we're doing that on five trees per row in every single row, and there are 42 rows. The reason why we wanted to assess this is that, you know, it's been commonly noted that, you know, nitrogen management or excessive nitrogen applications, as well as uh, late nitrogen applications have been thrown in there and water management are the key contributing factors to whole rot infection. So when we decided to take this fertigation strategy where we were applying well past what the traditional June 1st cutoff was, we were really cognizant of the fact that we may be flaring some whole rot here and not be aware of it. So we need to make sure that we're capturing that. But what we've been able to do in the last two years on average here, and you know, it's really a very fine average, I guess. So we were able to produce a reduction of 34% in year one on the whole rot, and we were able to produce a reduction of 33% in year two. So it's a very tight average that we've been able to generate in those last two years there. And that's, again, compared to the baseline. Even though we are running our fertilizer a month and a half to two months later than anybody in the industry is currently doing. And what is the difference, you know, especially in a year like this one, a lot of people are concerned about just the total cost of inputs, right? So what is the difference in the amount of inputs you're using, understanding that the ROI is there, as you just indicated, but just the total amount used of inputs, is this more inputs or less inputs and just better timing? Yeah. So as far as actual quantity goes, uh, when we're talking about units of specific elements, right? And we'll just really focus on nitrogen. That's probably the biggest uh, thorn in everybody's side right now. We were using uh, about equal levels of nitrogen. Now, the way that we are managing this long-term is that at the end of every year, we measure what the yield is in every treatment. And then, you know, we started year one with 200 units across the board of N. And then we calculated the nitrogen use efficiency at each treatment. And then we use that as our factor of N budget for the coming year. So in year two, our baseline ended up with almost equal levels of nitrogen to the My Almonds program. It was off by about, I think, nine pounds to the acre higher on the My Almonds. But that's because the My Almonds generated about 700 pounds more per acre in yield in the first year, but it did that at 90% efficiency. 
So that's how we're managing this year over year. So we're using this kind of fixed formula to determine what the nitrogen budget is for each treatment. But that nitrogen use efficiency, we've been able to improve that by 11% on average over the last two years compared to that baseline program. It's really an important factor, you know, as we mentioned with the cost of inputs this year, you know, those programs, particularly last year, the cost of that myomas program was about two times what the baseline program was, which is a very tough pill to swallow for a lot of growers in an upfront cost. But again, that ROI, we were able to generate at the end of the day, after we covered that increased cost, we generated $752 an acre more. And that's really important to think about when we consider some of our fixed costs. Like this, this year is a great example. Okay. 400 plus dollars an acre for bees. The bees came in, they did their thing. We had a frost event. Okay. You, you don't get a discount on the bees because of the frost event. Regardless of what you were able to generate in yield on those trees this year, you still had to pay that cost. You're still going to have to cover your water. You're still going to have to cover your property taxes. You're going to still have to cover all of those fixed costs. And so if you're able to generate a more consistent year over year improvement in your net return by employing a strategy that is, again, focused on crop demand and uptake and and really what I call kind of on-demand feeding, then it's going to put you in a better position long-term to be able to cover some of those fixed costs and whether some of the storms like this year we're facing as far as economics of the crop itself. But you know, the one thing that I wanted to definitely make sure to comment on is the pushback that we get a lot of times at the advisor or at the grower level, right? Everybody, I think, understands that a high-frequency, low-volume strategy is probably a better agronomic strategy in many situations. But what we get pushback on is the labor required to do it, right? It takes more time. I have to be out there checking these tank levels, and I have to be out there turning these fertigation pumps on, you know, on a weekly basis to operate it in the way that we are doing at our farm. And I, I get that. That's a legitimate concern. But, you know, when we are able to, you know, just to throw some rough numbers out there on a 2,500 pound crop, okay, if you go from 70% to 80% efficiency, that's about 30 pounds of nitrogen that you are able to get better use out of in that individual crop year. That equates to about $40 an acre in current market prices on UAN fertilizer, okay? If you're able to take that from 70%, which is probably the average for a, you know, four slug type of program operation, if you're able to take that to 90%, which is what the average is that we've been generating for the My Almonds program, you can save about 54 pounds of nitrogen per acre. That's about $70 an acre, again, at today's current market prices. So you can either do it more efficiently so that you are saving maybe on your total costs, or you can use that and generate a more optimal yield for the same amount of units that you're putting on and be able to increase the amount of return that you're able to get on that crop. Such a great point. I mean, because those are real dollars, but they are kind of hidden if, if you're not really pointing them out. They are. Because well, a lot of times, like right now, you know, everybody wants to figure out how can I best cut back? How can I best cut back? But it's not about just cutting back and doing the same application processes that you've been doing year over year. That's that's not the right approach to this. The right approach is how do we optimize every single drop, every single pound of input that we apply to this field so that we're able to get the best return possible. That's what's going to help you weather the storm and maintain productivity and profitability year over year. Yeah. Let's talk about this current environment that that you're referencing here, you know, at current prices, 
it's a big deal. And and so maybe from your perspective, what's happening in fertilizer right now that's causing this to be, you know, some products to be just at unprecedented levels here? Yeah. So um, first thing, you know, I, I had a really good discussion with some of the folks on, on the commercial side before coming into this podcast today to just kind of recalibrate an understanding because things are incredibly volatile, as everybody knows. But some of the most uh, significant issues facing the rising costs and in, in inputs right now uh, on the fertilizer side is starting with the fact that within the state of California, or we'll say the re- Western region, you know, nitrogen is is a, a key input. We all understand that uh, in, in the permanent crop side. And domestically, most of that nitrogen production that occurs is going to be in the Midwest where corn is king. We've heard that before. But beyond corn, just, you know, soybeans, grain prices, all of that stuff is through the roof higher than it has ever been. And so that is increasing the amount of acres that are going to be planted and increasing the demand for that domestic production. And so it's really less advantageous for us in California to try to get nitrogen fertilizers from that Midwest Corn Belt region. So the California market has been historically very much an import market. Okay. So that's, that's first and foremost. So everything that we utilize tends to be imported. And that means that we are very susceptible to global fluctuations and global challenges that exist in in these markets. Now, there's a lot of energy usage that goes into traditional mineral fertilizer production. And, you know, in the case of uh, of nitrogen production, you know, we're using natural gas in that manufacturing process. And so the nitrogen fertilizer prices tend to increase and decrease according to the natural gas prices in the European Union. And so those prices, they're at a 10-year high right now. And so the fertilizer prices are going to follow suit. You know, the other side that I should mention is that Because California is primarily an import market um, with the relative instability that has taken place within the global economies, I guess more recently relative to maybe the war in uh, Ukraine, is that there is also kind of a protectionist mode that is being activated with a lot of countries, you know, that they're not sending exports of fertilizer out because there are food scarcity concerns within their local markets. And so they're maintaining higher levels of supply locally, as opposed to shipping that out. So that's another element to be aware of relative to the, uh, the input costs that we're seeing the increases in. And you already talked about the importance of focusing first and foremost on on efficiency and when can you apply it to really meet the needs of that crop and make the most out of it. Along with that, are there any products or technologies that uh, growers could be considering that might help their fertilizer spend go further? You know, there's a fit really for every product, I would say, on the market somewhere. Right. That's a that's a belief that I've always held. And it's just trying to manage what your specific challenges are at your individual fields and trying to match what you're applying to uh, to to address those challenges. Um, So there's like three key areas that I think are really important to be cognizant of and trying to optimize our resources at this time. And that's really having a clear understanding of crop demand and uptake. Right. You know, there is work funded by the Almond Board uh, through 2012 to 2014, I believe it was. And there have been demand and uptake curves for every single element aside from molybdenum for almonds, which is a really a rarity when you work in multiple crops. 
that level of information as far as uptake and demand does not exist in almost any other crop, right? So we really need to understand the value of those individual nutrients, the site-specific challenges that may impact the availability of those nutrients, and understand how to use that information to time our applications of fertilizers for all the various purposes. Beyond that, you know, yield prediction, I just wanted to call that one out because really at this current state, especially with this frost event, it's increasingly challenging to understand how to optimize your inputs when you have a very poor line of sight on what your actual yield potential is for that year. Now, in that sense, if you go out and you estimate that, hey, my crop is probably 10% better than it was last year, but based on whatever factors, maybe it's, you know, uh, additional salts in the, in the water, you know, sodium chloride, something of that nature, or, you know, too much heat, you know, 2021 was a great example. There was, you know, there was the drought that occurred and there was a lot of heat that occurred relative to 2020. And so if your yield prediction is 10% higher, but the crop comes in 10% lower, you now have a 20% gap in what you are uh, applying for your nitrogen, that's going to cost you about 20% extra because that's basically going to waste. Your nitrogen use efficiency is gonna suffer by 20%. You know, your, your water productivity, so the amount of water utilized per unit of yield is gonna suffer. And it will become increasingly critical for growers to be aware of this is your carbon footprint. So your carbon footprint of production, you know, is all really based on your nitrogen use efficiency. The higher your nitrogen use efficiency, the, high, the better your carbon footprint is. And so if you're missing that mark by 20%, that's really going to start impacting the ability for you to sell your crop maybe in certain markets relative to those carbon footprint demands. So the three things then were the understanding the crop demand and uptake, uh, the yield prediction, and the nitrogen use efficiency. Is that right? Yeah, well, the last one was really that what I call that on-demand feeding. So that would be really the third one, right? So first, we have to understand what is needed when... The one thing that you know really I, I've struggled with over the years is these rules of nitrogen application, starting with the the old uh, you know outdated now 20, 30, 30, 20 rule. First of all, slugging 20% of your nitrogen on post-harvest has been shown not to be very effective. And you know, we're not actually doing any post-harvest applications in our myomans program because we're spoon feeding throughout the course of this season up until harvest. But when, when you bucket things like that, that has created this kind of three or four slug application methodology that has been adopted by a lot of growers. So they're going in at you know April and they're doing 20% or they're going in March, 20%, April, 30%. You know, and they're doing this in one application. Now, this is a natural system. And again, things don't turn on and off with switches as far as demand goes for these trees. And so that tree is is hungry for a certain level of nutrition throughout this entire period of time. And you are just oversupplying and then undersupplying, oversupplying, undersupplying. So the, the closer that we can get to providing that on-demand nutrition, you know, that's where the rise in, you know, hydroponics and closed system farming has been able to really improve the amount of food production per unit of area. We have to kind of take that mentality into the outdoor space and the natural orchard system and apply that as best we can there, I think. Thank you so much to Devin Clark for sharing all of this important and really timely information with us here on the podcast. 
I want to also add really quickly that Yara is building a model for education and incentives in this area of nitrogen use efficiency, as well as water productivity and reduced carbon footprint. It's called the Better Soil Alliance, and we'll make sure we include a link for that in the show notes as well. But it's this area of yield prediction and matching nitrogen to the needs of that crop that I want to focus in on for today's ABC update. One of the trickier aspects to dialing in a fertility program is yield estimation. This number will likely change throughout the growing season due to frost, like you heard Devin mention, or a variety of other potential factors. Almond Board of California Associate Director for Agricultural Research, Sebastian Saw, says yield estimation is a critical variable in determining a crop's nitrogen needs. We have seen over and over through our research program that nitrogen demand depends on how many pounds the grower is going to produce. So it's really important to have a good estimation, hopefully as early as possible in the season, of how much kernel you're going to have on those trees, how many pounds, because that is equal to a certain amount of protein. And we know that nitrogen is essential for those proteins, so that then results in a demand. So you need to estimate yields to have a good nitrogen fertilization plan. Sebastian is also part of the CDFA's Fertilizer Research and Education Program where he reviews proposals and research and outreach on behalf of the industry in the areas related to fertilizers. He says yield estimation, like any prediction, is not an exact science. It takes effort and often experience to do well. If you have no way to estimate yields, you can go to historical yields. You could see how much your orchard has produced in the past. And then walk your orchard and adjust accordingly for what you're seeing this season. There may be many orchards out there that maybe producing a little bit less than in the past due to frost events, for instance. So every year is different. Every year is important to conceptualize how much yield you expect to have. We have some indication of yield potential. We know that bigger trees can produce more or that can intercept more light and produce more. But at the end of the day, it's also a matter of experience and historic records. We have research also in yield prediction, but... um. So far, there's no better tool than walking your orchards saying, you know, this year I'm, I'm going to produce 2,000 instead of 3,000 pounds. And, you know, I, I use that example because you don't have to do it perfectly, 2,000 versus 3,000, but you could be off for 500 pounds in your first assessment early in the season. And that's fine because then as the season progresses, you can do it again and again and again and adjust your fertigation plan accordingly. So the earlier you try it and the more you do it, the better you get at it and the better you get at applying the right amount of fertilizer to the plant. And once you have this yield estimation and the knowledge of crop uptake throughout the growing season, like Devin was referring to, Sebastian says it's also important to factor in other potential sources of nitrogen your trees may have access to. As a grower, you may have nitrogen in the water, uh, in the irrigation water that you are using, especially if you're using wells or et cetera. There may be nitrogen in that water that you can use to fertigate your trees for free, quote unquote. So a simple water analysis will tell you that. And I think it's really can pay way more than a ton of UAN 34 with the prices today. So, yeah, the invitation is quantify all your sources of nitrogen, being the nitrogen that you have already available in the soil, one of them, the nitrogen that is in the water, one of them. Make sure to quantify yields and apply accordingly to that and do leaf analysis and so on to see if your trees are really actually responding to what you're applying. 
I think the worst thing you can do is to do blind applications. For more information on this or really any of the topics we discuss here on this podcast, feel free to reach out to the Almond Board's field outreach team. You can do so directly by emailing fieldoutreach at almondboard.com. They'll be glad to follow up with you and connect you with any of the resources you may need. We here at the Almond Journey podcast believe everyone in the almond industry has a story of their own of how they're making things work on their farms or in their jobs. Hearing the voices of industry leaders, people like Devin Clark, may have sparked a connection or maybe an idea that you can use in your own journey. That's why we want to feature these stories of innovation, resilience, and community here on this podcast. I hope you've already joined us for the ride by subscribing to the show on your podcast platform of choice. And please, we'd love it if you'd pass it along to others in the industry so we can all share in this almond journey together. <laughs>